Um, and, and that whole experience is really what got me started with truly understanding jobs to be done. I think before that, it's like, I knew it in concept, but I didn't really know how do you actually put it into practice. But once Bob sat in on those interviews with us and literally interviewed our customers with us watching him, that's where we really started to, to get that aha moment of, of not just what it is, but, oh, okay, now, now I can see how we can actually start to put some of these things in practice right away. Have you ever wondered why some products succeed in the market and others fail? Even at the feature level, why are some features never used at all, even after all that hard work you put into developing it? Well, on today's episode, Mike Belsito, founder of the Product Collective, the Industry Conference, and co-host of the Rocketship.fm podcast, joins me to share why we need to understand the job that our customers are hiring our products to do, ergo jobs to be done. Without first knowing that, we're setting up our product and feature launches for failure. Welcome back to Lessons in Product Management. Let's get started. Hey, Mike, welcome to the podcast. John, thanks for having me on. I appreciate yeah. it. No, it's, it's a real pleasure, man. Glad to have you. So to, to kick things off, Mike, could you give the listeners a, a background on, on who you are, like wh what you do, and um, yeah, just to tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure, sure. Yeah, I well, so I have been involved in early stage technology startups my whole career, really, since 2005. Um, but right now, I'm the co-founder of Product Collective, which is a community uh, and conference series for product people. Um, and when I say product people, you know, I mean, product managers, you know, product management professionals, product leaders, um, you know, those, those kind of people. So, we have all sorts of things uh, with Product Collective. We've got a, a newsletter that 30,000 people subscribe to every week. Um, we have a pretty active Slack community. Um, I, I think a lot of people know us for our conference series though, which is Industry, the product conference that takes place uh, in the springtime and fall. Um, you, back in the day, I would say, you know, Europe in the spring and North America in the fall, but these days it's all virtual. So we, we actually have our virtual conference coming up April 20th to the 21st uh, this year in 2021, which I'm excited about. And uh, yeah, so th that's what mostly keeps me busy. I also, like you, am a podcaster. I co-host rocketship.fm. Um, and I think we're over 450 episodes in now. And then I also am an adjunct professor um, teaching undergraduate product management at Case Western Reserve University. Very cool. So on a side note, like being an adjunct professor is definitely like a, a long-term like career goal of mine. So I definitely want to get involved with that. Nice. So I'm, I'm definitely going to have to <laughs> pick, pick your brain on that experience. But um, huge fan of, of all that you guys are doing with, with Rocket Ship and and uh, product collective. So uh, I'll make sure Thank to link, link all of that in the show notes that way. If by chance somebody listening isn't already tuned in, they, they will be. Well, I really appreciate that. And I'm a fan with what you're doing with lessons in product management. Um, I, again, anybody that's out there spreading the word about, you know, how to, how to learn in product management, I'm a fan of because when I was a product person, I mean, I still am a product person, but we, you know, when I had my first product role, where I was trying to manage software products, um, I, the way I learned was by listening to podcasts, reading blogs, reading books. It's not like any of us went to school for this kind of thing. So I, I love that you're out there doing this too. I appreciate that, Mike. So t today we want to continue in that theme of, you know, sharing the knowledge and kind of sharing like the, the goods of product management, right? And I think one of the topics that's that's been getting a lot of traction lately um, it, 
but probably still has a ways to go to like semen itself into the product practice as, as a whole, right, is jobs to be done. And I think that's, that's what we want to talk about a little bit today. So for those who aren't familiar with jobs theory or what the jobs to be done framework is, could you give like a description of, of what jobs to be done is to you? Absolutely. Yeah. So if you just want to kind of cut it down to the basics, jobs to be done is a framework to understand how and why people buy our products. So it's, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's not people aren't aren't buying our products. Um, and that's whether it's a physical product or software products. They're not buying them just because of, you know, the cool features they might have. You know, really, they're buying them because they have a problem. And they're literally hiring our products to solve that problem much in the way that, you know, an executive might hire a consultant to come in and solve a problem with the business. Um, when we buy any kind of products, we're actually hiring that product to solve a problem. Um, and, and jobs we've done is just simply the framework to understand, again, how and why people are buying our products. Very cool. Yeah, I know I got turned on to it, I don't know, probably, probably less than a year ago and been implementing it in, in my practice and it's paid huge dividends. So really excited to talk about the topic. Yeah, you know, it, and for me, I, it's something that it's been this hot topic kind of the last few years, but I knew very little about it. And I always felt like, you know, gosh, other people are out there, you know, doing this kind of thing. They must be really smart because I'm confused. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't really understand how this all works. And once I figured out that, like, look, it can be as a concept, it's actually quite simple as something that you feel like you have mastered it. That can be complex. And sometimes um, because of that, because people look and see, the complexity that sort of scares them from getting started in the first place. And that, that's kind of what I was why I wanted to come here and talk to you about this. Like I'm a big believer in just getting started, not just with jobs to be done, but it's sort of anything that we might uh, be feeling like we're, we're challenged. Um, and, and if we could just get started, sometimes that's the hardest part. And then we could get to that mastery level later on, but that hard part is just getting started. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. Right. Like, product management or any career is kind of like life, right? You don't, you don't come out, out of the womb running. Right? There's, there's a process to get to that point. Exactly. Yep. Cool. So before we dive into like, how do, how do we get started with jobs to be done? Could, could you take us on that journey of, of how you kind of discovered it? And, um, and what did that look like for you as you kind of learned about it and, um, and started to like take those baby steps forward? Yeah. Well, so for, for me, I can tell you exactly how it all started. And that's with uh, a, a guy named Bob Mesta and Bob, Bob's become a friend. Uh, but in the beginning, he was, a, you know, to us, a speaker at our conference. He was somebody that we looked up to, somebody that I saw out there really championing the concept of jobs to be done. And so we asked him to speak uh, at our conference industry, the product conference. And, uh, and this was several years back. And he took us up on it. You know, I think he's from Detroit, Michigan. Um, we're from Cleveland, Ohio. So, you know, just us sort of being in the Midwest, so to speak, um, kind of got along real well. And, and Bob's kind of become this person who almost makes industry a bit of a residency for him. He, I mean, now he's spoken multiple times and, and every time he speaks at industry, you know, it's always one of the highest rated talks that we'll have. And I remember, you know, even though I, I learned from, Bob, just by even watching his talks. And, and that's kind of what helped me start to really dig into jobs to be done. I remember backstage, this was probably about three years ago. Um, I mentioned to Bob how, you know, yeah, we're, we're doing a lot of, you know, interviews with our attendees. And he's like, great, they're jobs to be done interviews. And I'm like, well, 
I, we don't really even think of them as jobs be done interviews because I, I, we don't know what we're doing, Bob. You know, like I, we've been trying to learn from you, but honestly, like it just seems, it seems like it's complex. And so we're definitely not jobs be done experts. So, I mean, we're doing attendee interviews, right? Like, let's be honest that he goes, well, look, I, would it be helpful if I sat through with you on some of these interviews and maybe even interviewed your customers and you're, you know, just right alongside you, you know, would you be open to that? We're like, yeah, we'd be open to that, Bob. Of course we would. And because here he is, I mean, he's one of the early pioneers of jobs to be done. And he's, he's asking us if he, if we're open to him helping us with that. Right. So how do you not take him up on that? Right. So we ended up, um, immediately after that conference, I followed up with Bob and said, Hey, I remember what you said at the conference. I don't know if that was just a comment on the fly, but you know, we'd love to take you up on that. So we drove down to Detroit, Michigan and, and actually spent a full day with Bob and um, just kind of learning from him directly and, and getting to know him better. Um, and, and that whole experience is really what got me started with truly understanding jobs we done. I think before that, it's like, I knew it in concept, but I didn't really know how do you actually put it into practice. But once Bob sat in on those interviews with us and literally interviewed our customers with us watching him, that's where we really started to, to get that aha moment of, of not just what it is, but oh, okay, now, now I can see how we can actually start to put some of these things in practice right away. And that's so cool, Mike, to, to have like one of the early pioneers, like not, not only like hear him from afar, ha have him in your conference, but actually have him with your customers and sit through that experience and learn firsthand. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it was very cool. And, you know, I think it's testament to Bob. Bob's just a great guy. And um, yeah, like I said, now we consider him a friend and feel pretty lucky to consider him that way. But, but that, yeah, that's kind of how it all started for us. That's awesome. So kind of like, I guess, putting yourself back in those shoes of just getting started and kind of learning from the best. And now you're kind of giving back some of those, those best practices of, of how to get started. Um, for, for someone listening, I'm sure they're on the edge, they're at the edge of their seat by now <laughs> saying like, so what, where do I get started? And so like, what, yeah. what, what are some examples of first steps that, that the listeners can take? Yeah, I, well, I think first things first is to understand the sort of basic concept of, of job speed, right? I mentioned before how, yes, it is a framework for understanding how and why people buy our products, but, but what does that mean? And so there, there's sort of a few terms that I think that people should familiarize themselves with. Um, and what I'll say, first of all, like the struggling moment, that's a big part of job speed done. The struggling moment is sort of that area where um, you'll actually discover what's right for innovation. You know, it's that, it's that way I always like to think of it is if you ever see those infomercials on TV where maybe somebody is like pouring cereal in a bowl and all of a sudden the cereal goes everywhere and they're like, oh my gosh, it's so complicated. I wish there was a better way. And, and then they go on to sell you some like fancy cereal bowl, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> that, that's the struggling moment, which you see right there, that frustration. Um, that is the pretty much a struggling moment personified. And it's really important for us to find those struggling moments when we're thinking about the products, either that we are already selling to our customers or that maybe we're trying to figure out what to sell to our customers, what to build, what to, um, you know, what to create. So understanding those struggling moments and always looking out for those struggling moments, that's important and that's a big part of jobs to be done. Um, and then you're going to discover though that those struggling moments, they lead to pushes and pulls. And, um, and ultimately, like if you want to think of, of a timeline and you sort of think of the current state 
and you know it and for listeners out there you could think of your own product right now if you want to and just what what is the current state um right now of of your customers with problems that they're experiencing right now that you're hoping that your product can solve for them right well th they're first going to experience a push and the push is um it, it's that thing that they're experiencing that leads them to believe that there does need to be a better way. It, it, it is them experiencing that struggling moment, right? So um, I'll just think of an example, Slack. You know, when Slack was first coming out, um, I, I remember that. I remember being bogged down with meetings. I remember, you know, my email being, you know, completely taken over. And I do remember thinking, gosh, this, like, almost all of my day is either meetings or email triage like this this can't be sustainable that's the push that feeling that i'm having there that like that is a push i'm realizing that the current situation is not sustainable we we need a we need a different uh end goal right now the pull is something that you it's something that you hear about or you see of a potential solution that might bring you away from that current scenario um, so a pull for me back in that time was seeing all sorts of articles that were being put out there about how Slack is killing email. And yeah, that statement alone, like that's debatable, right? I still get a ton of emails, but you know, back then that's what I was seeing. I was seeing all these articles coming out. Slack is killing email. You know, you, people are using Slack. They're no longer needing the email or Slack is killing meetings even better. Like I don't want to sit through meetings. So when I start seeing those articles, that's the pull. And that, that might bring me to that ultimate, um, you know, sort of new solution in a way. Um, but then there's these other things that pop up, anxieties and inertia. And so an anxiety of, of me as that product manager that's hearing about Slack for the first time, um, first even, you know, feeling that push of, of you know these meetings and emails, I need this different way. Then feeling the pull of hearing the hearing about Slack and how it could be this email meeting killer. Um, one might think, okay, so then you automatically go sign up for Slack, right? Well, usually you don't, right? Like usually you, you'll experience what's called anxieties, and so these anxieties might be okay. But what if I what if I tell my company about this and it doesn't go well? Or, you know, now what, what does this mean? Does it mean if, if I got my company to sign up for this, I need to train everybody on this? Or, you know, am I putting my, career, my, my job on the line if things don't go well? That, those are real anxieties that, that a product person, you know, in that situation might be feeling. And that could keep you from getting to that end goal. Um, and then inertia is where you say, it's just not worth it. Like, I, never mind. I, Yes, these meetings, these emails suck, but I just, I, I can't, I can't deal with, you know, the, what comes with this new solution. And so, and, and you end up not taking action at all. And when you get stuck in that inertia phase or a customer gets stuck in that inertia phase, they're not, they're not going to change their way. They're not going to get to that end result. So understanding that full timeline of the push, the pull, the anxieties, the inertia, um, it, that is all really important. I, so I would say, you know, going out there, you know, you, you asked before, how, how do people sort of get started? It, first, understanding those basic um, concepts. And, you know, I, I kind of tease them here, but there's definitely good information out there for you to go and sort of read up on. Um, and, and then just like understanding, you know, maybe just start to understand the concept with your, your own life, right? Like we don't have to, we don't have to like go and think about it in the context of, complex software that we're selling um, right away, we could think about um, other ways. So 
for me, I just think about the fact that with all of this, context is really important. Um, and so when, when we're thinking about the, the products that, that um, for instance, we're trying to hire for, understand that the specific context is going to, to set the stage for you. And, and not every situation is going to be the same. And so what do I mean by that? Like, I'll explain when I um, order pizza, <laughs> like not a software product, just pizza, right? I have many different options where I live in Lakewood, Ohio, but let's just say, you know, it comes down to two options. Little Caesars, which is, you know, it's a chain pizzeria. It's really inexpensive. You just get it and it's automatically ready for you. Or, or Angel's. Angel's is sort of this neighborhood pizzeria. It's got history. It's been here for decades. It's, it's like Lakewood, Ohio personified. If I were to ask you, and I, actually, John, I'll ask you, like, of Little Caesars and, and Angelo's, which do you think is my go-to pizzeria? Uh, that's what would good, you say? That's a good question. I, I would probably say it depends. <laughs> It does uh, depend, right? So and you're yeah. right, because it depends on it depends on the situation, it depends on the context. So um, for instance, if I am rushing home from my eight-year-old son's soccer practice and we need to get my son needs to get showered and changed and it's bedtime soon, I can tell you like it's not going to be Angelo's, it's gonna be little Caesars because I know I could stop right there, run in, grab the pizza and get home. And we could be eating in five minutes. Whereas Angelo's, you know, it may take an hour because it's a very popular place, right? On the other hand, if the situation is that it's date night um, or we have friends that are coming over, you know, in the world where we would have friends coming over and, and they want a little taste of Lakewood, it's going to be Angelo's, right? So the context matters. And, and so with jobs to be done, context matters a lot too. It's understanding that um, just because somebody chooses a product, it doesn't mean that anybody that is in their situation is going to choose that product. There are specific circumstances that are dictating that they're going to choose that product, that they're hiring that product. Um, the problem they're hiring it for might be a completely different problem than somebody else is experiencing. So um, I think before you sort of like put anything into practice, it's just sort of understanding some of these basic concepts of pushes, pulls, anxieties, inertia, and then also just understanding why context uh, and circumstances are so important too. Yeah, to, to me, that was the biggest takeaway as I started learning jobs theory is, is how crucial context was to, to the situation. And um, like as soon as that kind of light bulb came on, it, it made that, that qualitative user research a lot, more, a lot uh, different in the way that I approached it for sure. Yeah, yeah. It, and, and sometimes that's, I mean, I'll say even now, like it is sometimes hard to really live that because we might think of our own products and we might have these biases that it's sometimes hard to look past, but we just have to keep reminding ourselves to try to look past those biases and understand that, yes, there are people out there that are buying our products, but for completely different reasons. And we have to understand what all those reasons actually are. For sure. And there's a couple of things I want to double click on just real quick. Um, one is just like how, how much empathy is baked into each of those, those pillars that you just mentioned and how like in the product practice, I think a lot of times we can get like bogged down into the science of data, like quantitative data. Um, but no amount of quantitative data is going to tell you anything about what you just described at any of those stages, whether it's like the anxiety or what, what might maybe causing inertia, like that's that straight qualitative empathy. 
you're totally right. And that's why I think one of the sort of key pillars of jobs to be done as an actual practice is the actual jobs to be done interview, right? You have to actually sit down with people and, and interview them. You have to understand, you know, why it is that they are choosing your products. You know, what, what are those uh, circumstances? What is the context? And, th and this is where Bob really opened our eyes because, well, there are a couple of things. One, these interviews go really, really, really deep, almost at an uncomfortable level. Um, when we were actually watching Bob interview our customers, first of all, he asked for a full hour with each customer, which, you know, when I was doing customer interviews, I would, I'd ask for maybe 20 minutes or so because, hey, my customers are busy, you know, they don't have a lot of time. And that's true, but you'd be surprised. Sometimes if you're asking for an hour, you'll get a full hour. And the reason why Bob asked for a full hour is he would literally almost interrogate them. And the way he was trying to sort of um, frame it up to us is, look, we're documentary filmmakers, or at least that's what we have to, that's what we have to think of ourselves as. And we have to sort of uncover the, the real story. And sometimes it takes going really, really deep. So as an example of that in the interviews, I remember we talked to this one person, Matt, who was a self-proclaimed self product person. Really, he was in user onboarding lead. That was his actual title. And when, you know, we, Bob asked the question at first, so, you know, what, you know, why did you buy your ticket to industry? Um, you know, Matt's answer at first was pretty generic. It's like, well, I wanted to learn from the best and, you know, meet other people. I probably would have left it at that and been like, okay, great. And when did you buy that? You know, Bob instead, he didn't just stop there. He said, okay, but, but wait a minute. What, why though? Like, why did you want to, why did you feel like you needed to learn more? And you know, kept asking these why questions. And then it comes to it comes out that really what happened is Matt, as a user onboarding lead, you know, his his company, his boss, um, was really pushing him to own what it meant to be a product person. Sort of saying to Matt, hey, look, if you want a product role here, you gotta be that product person first. You know, and you and that that's on you to do that. Like you need to take ownership of that. I wouldn't have got there if it was just me doing my typical attendee interview. But Bob went really, really deep with these interviews. And, and sometimes, I mean, people ask me now, like, well, hey, what's the difference between a jobs be done interview and just any user interview? I, I always say, I think it's going deep like that, um, but also uncovering those pushes, pulls, anxiety, inertia, really like being able to, once you end that conversation, map out um, that entire sort of customer journey, if you will. And so if you're doing all that in your interviews, you might be doing jobs to be done interviews right now without ever knowing it. But um, a lot of times that's what's missing is that in those attendee interviews or just customer interviews, you're not necessarily capturing all that. And so that, that's a very important part of it. And just like you said, I mean, it's, it's getting the qualitative side that no report or no sort of um, you know, analysis is going to give you. For sure. No, I, I love, I love that example. So thank, thanks for sharing that. One of the, the other things that I want to double click on, you just mentioned it again, was like that, um, that inertia, the, the anxiety and the inertia. And I just want to get your, your perspective of like in the, the digital space or in the, the software space, do you think that that's why like product led companies uh, or like PLG focused companies are being so successful right now? Because like they're kind of reducing, um, like potentially reducing the inertia through like making it easy to get in? Yeah, I think, it, I, well, at least at first, right? I mean, yeah. so I, you, I talked about Slack before. I mean, I think Slack's a great example of a product-led growth-oriented company. And a lot of Slack's growth has been due to sort of being product-led from the beginning. Um, so I think 
I think at least getting those people on board initially, it does reduce, uh, it reduces the time. It reduces sort of the, the stress or whatever that, you know, might, might go through a process where, gosh, it takes so many people. I think where, where it still sort of faces similar challenges is then, you know, okay, how do you onboard the rest of that company? So just think of Slack if they're, you know, they might have, infiltrated in a way, you know, some big organization because individuals can start using Slack. Um, but how do you then sell that up? And how do you, how do you get as an organization to adopt it? Um, because at some point that has to happen, right? Like let's just say it's Apple, you know, if employees at Apple start using Slack, that's great, but you can't, it's not really Apple as a customer quite yet. Um, and so that still takes a lot of time, but yeah, I mean, the, the point is customers, do have you know you're you're able to have a faster path to getting people to use your product, um, and you can infiltrate those big organizations if you are a product-led company. It just can't end there, you know. I think it's like once you're once you're in, then you have to think about things like how do we properly onboard people? How do we then transition from these individual users to getting the teams on board? And so that doesn't go away. But again, I think I think the coming back, kind of circling back to this conversation about jobs it ends up being that there are now different jobs that the companies are hiring for. Like that individual that's on a team at a big company like Apple, for instance, they ha they're hiring for a different job than maybe that product leader who is responsible for, you know, a hundred product managers within Apple. So understanding at each level, what is the job that they're actually trying to hire for? Um, that's really, that should be really important to us as product people. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the job, the job, so to speak, is, is never actually done because even, even if you solve the first person or like you get hired for the first person's job, then like there's another job to be done after that to kind of finish off the process, even in that, that PLG model. So that makes Absolutely. A lot of sense. Yeah, for sure. Cool, Mike. Well, this has been such a great conversation. Um, like there, there's been things that you said that I'm like, huh, I, th I thought I knew jobs theory, but this was something new. So, <laughs> so thanks. Yeah, I know. I appreciate it. And I think the big, if there's one thing that I want people to remember from all of this is like, look, from, from those early interviews we did with Bob, which by the way, we ended up doing um, a, a few of those interviews, but even just a few interviews, we were able to pull things out that, you know, and kind of uncover some things that had big meaning for us. Um, the fact now at our conference, we hire professional journalists to take notes and those notes are shared with everybody at the conference. That that sort of delighter that we introduced was directly be, directly from a few of those early jobs we done interviews that we did with attendees. In none of those interviews did people say, you ought to hire a journalist. But what <laughs> we heard was there was this anxiety that they were feeling about having to share everything that they learned back with everybody at their companies afterward. So um, I, I'm sharing all that because even just doing a few interviews, like even just getting started right away, doing a few interviews, you might find that one thing that maybe it's not a brand new product you're launching, but it could be that new delighter that you'd introduce that makes a big difference. Or it could be how, you know, could be improving marketing copy, which, you know, we might overlook, but that could be really important. So my biggest sort of uh, mission for everybody out there listening to this is start digging into some of these key concepts, but then push yourself to get started do some of these interviews, early interviews, see what you're able to pull out of them. And my, my bet is even just within a couple of weeks, you'll start to uncover things that you can actually take action on right away. That's awesome. 
So you mentioned earlier that there's there's content out there that that people can dive deeper into for each of those those specific areas. Uh, what what are some of those resources that that you'd point us back to that I could link in the show notes for them? Yeah, the big big one I would say you know Bob is the president and CEO of a company called the Rewired Group, and their URL is just therewiredgroup.com. Um, they have a lot of great resources. They have videos uh, of different talks, um, including ad industry, um, but they have all the other sort of downloadable material. So I would say start there. That that would definitely uh, that definitely be helpful. There's other things out there too. I mean, heck, Ryan Singer just released his whole Shape Up book and Shape Up content, and a lot of that is inspired by Jobs Be Done too. So that'd be another big one that I'd recommend too. Nice. I didn't know it was released. I'm gonna go find it and order it now. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And it's free too. Shape Up is, he put it out there for free for everybody to, to take advantage of. So yeah, that's definitely one to check out. Nice. Well, thanks, Mike. This, this has been an absolute pleasure and I know our, our listeners will benefit greatly from it. So thanks for coming on. All right. Thank you, John. I really appreciate being here. That was Mike Belsito, founder of the Product Collective, Industry Conference, and co-host of Rocketship.fm podcast. The links to the Product Collective the conference and Mike's podcast are all in the show notes. So go check them out. If you're enjoying these episodes, please drop us a rating and review and we'd love it if you'd share with a friend or a colleague. Thanks for joining us. And I look forward to seeing you next week on the lessons in product management podcast.